And again, take your Bibles and let's read. We're going to read verses 1 through 17 of Colossians chapter 3. Uh, last week, we, we looked at the first proverb in, as we considered this new year that's before us. And today, we're going to take another little turn in Scripture away from our John series and consider an imperative for the new year. As we look to this new year in which we're now living, the year of our Lord, 2023. So it's a good reminder to us of some of the basics, as we saw last week, what we're to believe and who we're to be. And this picks up on that same theme and reminds us as well. So let's begin in chapter 3, verse 1 of the book of Colossians, and I'll read through verse 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And in all, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever and forever. Father, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for the truth that's set before us in these verses, and particularly that reminder verse that whatever we do, 
We're to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to do it as unto the Lord. May we, Father, be blessed by your spirit today to hear your truth and blessed by your spirit today to walk out of this place to do your truth. May we indeed, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we do it with conscious awareness. Father, may we not take for granted our days, but may we live them with purpose. We ask you to work this in us for your glory and for our good now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll remind all the children in here, we have many, many, even though we have some who are away, some who are sick, we have many in the room this morning. I'm just going to remind you of something. It's always wise for you to check your work, whether it's schoolwork or whether it's the work that you do for your mom or your dad around the house or perhaps out in the yard. I hope all of you still work out in the yard and uh, get your hands dirty. You'll be less sick, by the way, if you get your hands dirty a lot. And uh, whatever it may be, we should check our work. We should do our work. And we should, we should want to be sure that we do it well, we do it correctly. In fact, that we do it the best we can do it. I can remember as a child how wonderful it was when my mama would come in and she would find something that I had done, whether she would asked me to or not, and she would say, that's really good. You did a good job. I also remember those times when she'd say, didn't I ask you? Dot, dot, dot. And then she'd have to remind me to go back and do it. And the contrast between having done it and done it well and the contrast of not having done it or done it poorly is, is radical, isn't it? Now, put that in the context of God. God loves us as his children. If you're, if you're in Christ Jesus, he loves us regardless of what we do. But don't we want to do our best for the one who's done his best for us. Now, before you say, well, that sounds like legalism, let's just be reminded it's not. Legalism, in its, in its true definition, is you or I doing things in order to be accepted by God, in order to be justified by God. In other words, working our way to heaven. And we know the scripture doesn't teach that. In fact, Paul says everywhere in the book of Romans that it's not by works lest any man should boast. That we can't even keep the law. There's none righteous, not one. There's none who even seek to do right. So we know that we can't keep the law of God. We can't do enough to be received into his presence. But... Our Lord Jesus Christ did say, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. So what we're talking about here and what Paul's talking about when he says in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. Later in verse 23, he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So when the, when the, when the, the, the apostle here says that we're to do He's saying that in the context of the covenant of grace. He's saying that in the context of who we are in Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, with that little introduction, let's look at this. You see the points outlined there in the insert and the order of service. So take those in hand. Follow along as we look at this verse, and we'll be referring to several verses all the way back to chapter 1 as we, as we put this little verse in its, in its context so that we don't miss what Paul would have us understand. First, the command, or perhaps better, the expectation for the church. What's the expectation for the church? After Paul says all of this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. Do everything for the Lord. Notice the first thing here is that this is for the church. Whatever you, all of you do. This is the plural, y'all. What all of you do. So he's writing to the church. It shouldn't surprise us that he'd speak in the plural here. He's not just speaking to individuals. But he's talking to us as the church. But in talking to us as the church, he certainly takes each of us into account, right? None of us could say as a member of Christ's body, well, he's talking to the church there, not to me. And it'd be wrong for anyone to say, well, surely Paul's talking to the elders of the church there. Uh, God wouldn't expect all of us to do everything in the name of the Lord. But now he would expect the elders to. Or those deacons. They need to do more. So this is about the elders and the deacons. No, it's not. It's about us. It's, It's all of us. Whatever all of you do. And then... Notice it's not only a corporate command, and oh, by the way, it might be good for each of us to examine ourselves, examine ourselves, and say, well, wait a minute. Whatever you do in word or deed, all things that you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord, verse 23 says. Um... You know, that, God's probably wanting some other people to listen to that and hear that. I mean, we do that easily enough, don't we? We like to project onto other people. Yes, it's to all of us, but I'm doing my part. Why don't they do their part? So, my point there is simply this, is that we have to be We have to be careful that we don't miss the point. And the point is to all of us. They were all to do as unto the Lord. 
It's clear. Do you notice how clear this is? We're to do. There's not a child in this building that doesn't understand to do. Right? Do that. That is an action verb. Get with it. And so it's good for us to be reminded, we're supposed to be doing things. We're not just supposed to be sitting. We're not just to come to church and soak. We're supposed to be active in the work of the Lord. And notice how comprehensive it is. It's very interesting to me. Whatever all of you do, that's plural. And then he goes to the singular. Whatever all of you do in every single word and in every single deed. Because sometimes we think, well, this I'm doing for the Lord. Now, don't say you don't. Because we all fall into that trap, don't we? Well, that's the Lord's work there. What Paul says is, for all of us to do every single thing, whether it's word or whether it's an action, as unto the Lord. And and even more so, I mean, I, I keep saying whatever you do as for the Lord, verse 23. But here... In verse 17, it gets a little little stickier even than that, doesn't it? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You'd say, well, if I did that, I'd sound like a holy roller. You know, I'd sound like a goody-goody if I, you know, everything's in the name of the Lord. Yeah. We're to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can do that without being obnoxious. The reminder for us is this, is that nothing we say and nothing we do as Christians can be for men or for self. And Paul gets at that down in verse 23, doesn't he? He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So everything we're to do, and this gets into everything, everything. Have you all noticed this? It's whatever you do, whatever you do. In other words, doesn't matter if it's your schoolwork. Doesn't matter if it's your, your housework. Doesn't matter if your vocational work doesn't matter if it's your leisure. We're to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to do it as if we're doing it for Jesus, for the Lord. Uh, that would make a big difference, wouldn't it? It does make a big difference. You know, one of the reasons the world looks at us and rightly sees hypocrite is because we don't live this way. And they, when, once you say, I'm a Christian, they expect you to live this way. And then when we don't, 
You say, but we're all going to sin. Yeah, I got that. That's the reason we have the confession of sin in the early part of the, the, the liturgy is so that we deal with our sins. We deal with them often. We deal with them regularly. We are all going to sin, but that doesn't mean then that we don't strive for holiness. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say? That we're to live holy lives for he is holy. That's what Paul's getting at here. Just what Jesus said. We're to live holy lives as he, as God is holy. You say, but I can't be holy like God. But we've been made holy. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. To those who have been holied. I know, that's not a real word. He says... To those who have been sanctified. It's the same thing. Sanctified. Made holy. We are holy people. And so we're to strive for holiness. And that's what Paul's getting at here. That we're to strive for holiness. In everything. In the way we speak. In the way we do. And that's convicting, isn't it? And because we don't like to be convicted... We just don't think about it. So we're faced with here at the beginning of the year. Me and Mr. Clapp didn't do this. Me and Pastor Wilborn did. We're having to face this. We're having to deal with our hearts. We have to deal with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we don't always think about our words in terms of With the Lord Jesus Christ, does this sound like something the Lord Jesus Christ would say? That doesn't mean that we have to be passive. We have to be meek all the time. Our Lord Jesus Christ was not passive all the time. and He wasn't meek all the time. And meek in the sense of, oh, well, I'll let that go. But sometimes he said things that were rather rough to receive outright harsh sometimes so it's clear it's comprehensive what we're to do you say okay so clarify when it says word and deed you know how exhaustive is that well let me just give you an example And I would encourage you to go to our Westminster Larger Catechism. And if you're a member here, you've been given a Westminster Confession and a Larger and Shorter Catechism because when I do the new members class, I say, here they are, take one. So if you didn't, that's on you. But if you did and you haven't read them yet, that's also on you. Uh, But here, for instance, is a wonderful example. The Eighth Commandment. Question 140 says, which is the eighth? The eighth commandment, the answer is, you shall not steal. Now, we usually think just about the negative there, don't we? You shall not steal. So, okay, I'm not going to take that. Oh, that takes care of it. I didn't take that. But the larger catechism takes the whole of Scripture into account and says, no, it's not only 
the things that you shouldn't do, you shouldn't take, but how do you, how do you contribute positively? So we know what the negative is. What's the positive side of do not steal? Let me just read you some of the answer. What are the duties? The duties required are truth, faithfulness, and justice. In contracts, commerce between man and man, rendering everyone his due. Restitution of goods unlawfully detained. Giving and lending freely. Moderation of our judgments. Wills and affections concerning worldly goods. A provident care and a study to get, keep, use, and dispose these things which are necessary and convenient for the sustenation of our nature. A lawful calling. A lawful calling is one of the answers to you shall not steal. Having a fruitful vocation, in other words, one that contributes. So, on and on it goes. So go to the larger catechism. Work through all those questions of the Ten Commandments. And you'll see, my goodness, the things that we're to do the deeds that we're to do. Not just the to don't do things, but then what that means on the other side of all the things we should be doing and should want to do. Because after all, we're not doing them for men. If we were doing them just for men, we might get away with just doing the bare minimum. They might not ever know that we didn't do everything. Because mere men don't know everything. They can't be there at all times. They can't see all things. But our God, on the other hand, he knows all things and he sees all things and he's there at all times. But that reminds us that we're not simply to do all things because we're in the presence of God. But we're to do all things in the Latin, you know. I don't know about you. I just, Latin sounds good. You know, R.C. Sproul in his ministry, now with the Lord, made famous among a certain sector of Christianity, Coram Deo. That we're to, we're to live our lives and do all things Coram Deo in the presence of God, in the face of God. But we're also... To do all things ad deum. We're to do all things to God and for God. Not just in his presence, but for him. And the Apostle Paul's getting at that here. That's the command. Notice the conscience of the church. I'll be brief on this. We're to do all things in his name. We're to do all things for the Lord. The only conscience for Christians is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a sine qua non. That's a, a non-negotiable in Christianity. 
We talk about this a lot throughout the different aspects of church life, that the Lord is our conscience. We shouldn't let anyone else dictate our conscience, but the Lord and his word. And that's what Paul's saying here is we're to do everything, every single word, every single deed, not because men see us, not because men may, may think this or that about us, but because we are doing it for the Lord. He's our conscience. He's the one who, who, who shapes and forms our conscience by his word. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. See, Paul just said there, in a little sentence, much of what I've been saying for the past few minutes, didn't he? But notice the conscience part. For the love of Christ controls us. Some translations, the love of Christ constrains us. Then the question becomes, how are we to take this genitive? Is this our love for Christ or is this Christ's love for us? And this is how the Greek scholars usually answer it. Yes. It's not an either or, it's a both and. The love that Christ has for us controls us and our love for him should also control us. Martin Luther said to go against God and conscience is a dangerous thing. Because Luther understood God is our conscience. That's what Paul's saying here. For us to love Christ and to sin against Christ is a dangerous thing. For Christ to love us and us to sin against Christ is a dangerous thing. Now, so that you don't go away thinking, well, this, this still sounds like we're just talking about moralisms. Remember, remember everything that Paul has said from the beginning. Let me just remind you of some. Back in chapter 1. May you be strengthened with all power to do all things in word and deed, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then listen to this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the basis for what Paul's now saying in chapter three when he says, do everything as unto the Lord. Why? Because he did this. The love of Christ constrains us. This is the love of Christ. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I mean, Paul's got a, a nice tight argument when he tells us 
Put away all the old stuff. Put on the new stuff. And by the way, let me summarize it for you. Do all things in word and deed as unto the Lord. Because he has bought you. He has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his, of his beloved son. We're his. He controls us. But what a wonderful control that is. You say, I'm a slave to no one. Yes, we are. Paul says this in Romans, doesn't he? You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, a slave to to the dark, evil age or a slave to God. But the beautiful thing about being adopted as sons of God is that we're both slaves and sons. And that means we have a benevolent master, not an evil master. We have a master who turns our hearts. Did you see that? May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. He's the one working in us to will and to do his good pleasure, like Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. So this is not legalism. This is just living under a gracious master and living with a gracious master and living for a gracious master. That's the conscience that we are to have. I pursue the things that God's laid before me because of all he's done for me. See, that's the reason I used to love cleaning things around the house is because I love my mama. It's the reason I love to cut those nice straight lines in the yard because I love my daddy. If you don't know about cutting nice straight lines, well, I can give you a few lessons. So the command is to do in every single thing as unto the Lord. What's the conscience that we have in doing this is the love of Christ. Christ is our conscience. And then last and briefly, notice the character of the church that, that's formed out of this. Do you see it very briefly? Whatever you do in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We don't begrudge doing. We don't lament doing. We don't grumble doing. We don't complain. We do it happily. We do it with thanksgiving. As Paul says elsewhere, in all things, give thanks. And then this gets at something else. We're not just a thankful people, a thankful body. We're a prayerful body. That's how we express thanks to God, isn't it? Offering prayers of thanksgiving. You ever think about that? All during the day, we have these opportunities to thank God, to offer prayer. That's, that's part of how the Lord envisioned us pray without ceasing. Not these long oratorical prayers that you may think of, but just those simple, thank you, Lord. I do that almost every day I drive through Oak Ridge. When I see those cars with headless drivers... You know, they're like a hundred and, I don't know, there's five or 6,000 little ladies in Oak Ridge that are 85 plus 
and they can't even be seen above the steering wheel any longer. They're so short that people are nodding their heads. Oak Ridgers understand what I'm talking about. And they come through the traffic lights and you don't know who's driving and you wonder if anybody was because that light was red. And I thank God. If you don't pray without ceasing, living in Oak Ridge and Knoxville, then, then you got a real problem as a Christian. The Lord gives us all sorts of both good and scary reasons to pray without ceasing is my point. But here to the point, we're to give thanks to the Lord and we're to do it through Jesus Christ. No other name under heaven whereby a man can be saved and there's also no other name through whom you can pray that the God of the heavens will hear you is the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Well, that means if you're not in Christ, you have no hope. You can't understand what I've said for the last few minutes. You certainly wouldn't think about doing everything as for the Lord. You would be doing everything as for men. Unless you're in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. But he says something else there in Romans. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then he says this, and you will not be disappointed. Because the love of Christ controls us. So that'd be a wonderful way to begin the new year. If you're not a believer in Christ, put your faith in Christ. And then for believers, it's a wonderful way to begin the new year. For the family, for the church, for your, for your employer, for your teachers, that I'm going to pursue everything in the name of the Lord as unto the Lord. Wouldn't that change your whole temperament, your whole complexion, if you approached everything with the thought that I'm doing this for the Lord Jesus Christ and he's done everything for me? And so I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to do this for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want him to get credit for it. Father, thank you for this day that we've had already and for the remainder as we look forward even now to coming back this evening and hearing the sermon about glorification, the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, Lord, don't, don't allow us to have any other love besides our love for Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, to give us this desire that in every single word and every single deed, we would do it as for the Lord and not for men. And in so doing, we'd know that from the Lord, we will receive our inheritance. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.